Welcome back to Knives Out Minute. This is the Group Movie Minute Project about the 2019 whodunit Knives Out. And we're going to talk about one minute of screen time at a time. I am your guest host, Paul Francis Sullivan, creator of Locked On MLB and Bull Durham Minute, as well as the now defunct but still existing on iTunes or whatever it's called now, Sully Baseball Daily Podcast. Please, please call me Sully. On today's episode, we are talking about Minute 23, which begins with Richard finding a pink envelope in Harlan's desk and ends with Lieutenant Elliot confused and saying, look around. Well, I'm looking around and I see my guest for this week. She is the host of Not Another Bad Movie podcast, Megan Tripp, all the way from Central Florida. How are you, Megan? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. This is I I love this minute. There's so much happens in this minute in terms of tone and humor and and everything that I I just can't wait to cannonball into this particular minute. So let's let's get right into it. Richard, played by Don Johnson, who look at at I'm old enough to remember when Don Johnson and Tom Selleck were the two coolest guys on TV. <laughs> And they're it's almost. I recognize him, but I couldn't tell you what I know him from. <laughs> well, he was on Miami Vice, uh, which okay. when I was when I was about twelve, thirteen years old, the two coolest shows on TV. One took place in your state of Florida, which was Miami Vice, mm-hmm. and the other took place in Hawaii, and it was Magnum PI. And I was more of a Magnum PI guy because it was funnier and Tom Selleck was he was cool he was like the the most handsome dude in the world but he was also funny he had a sense of humor about himself he was the, he was a person that was originally cast as Indiana Jones and oh, yeah, and he had such a charm to him that you could see him in a fight scene but you could also see him doing a very funny scene Miami Vice was almost too serious for me it was like it was this brooding cop show that had unbelievably cool fashion and would have entire (laughs) scenes where they would shove in a a popular song of that time. It was called, it was nicknamed MTV cops because at the time MTV was huge and they were showing music videos all the time. So they would pad the show with, um, with songs and this, yeah. And, and some of them became wildly like the, the the song, you know, I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Hold oh, yeah. on was yeah. from the show and the smugglers blues was from that show. But looking back at it, because I remember it being this fast paced, like super slick cop show. <laughs> and it was for then. It was for for the mid 80s. Um, looking at it with our eyes now, sometimes the pace of it going like, yeah, can we? Can we can we get this going here? And there's one scene where Don Johnson and um, uh, Philip Michael Hall, the, Philip Michael Thomas, 
who was his partner, Crockett and Tubbs or Stubbs. Or I, I can't remember their names. I never was a huge fan of the show. They, they got into a car and they're going to go investigate something. And they play the Tommy Shaw song, which was kind of a small hit in the mid 80s called Girls with Guns, which I happen to be a big fan of that song, Tommy Shaw from Sticks. You know, and oh, don't think small, don't put your back against the wall. And and the scene, they play the whole GD song, and the scene is just them driving <laughs> from point A to point B in Miami, and they play Tommy Shaw's three-minute Girls with Guns song. And like he's like, you know, turn the blinker on, <laughs> you know, pay the toll at the bridge. Hey, don't think small, don't get that back again. Like yeah, just cut to the place. And then they pull up and, yep, we're here. They turn off the radio and they get out. But it was to get your song on Miami Vice was kind of, uh, you know, that was a sense of, of, that was an accomplishment. You wanted to get your, you, you wanted to be on the coolest show on TV. And uh, Don Johnson was like, he was such a huge star and hunk of the 80s that he had a song that he oh. recorded called heartbeat that actually charted we're looking for a heartbeat um it's like most things in the 80s you look back and you go like someone who wasn't growing up then uh would look around and say wait were they being serious it's like yeah <laughs> yeah irony didn't show up until around 91 so <laughs> Everything then, they were taken seriously. So when Don Johnson was singing, we're looking for a heartbeat. He was looking for a heartbeat. And it was a very serious moment. Oh, it was serious. But, you know, one of the things I like about what happens in some people's careers, and I think Don Johnson is an example of that, is that once he gets older and he's kind of gone, I mean, obviously he's still a he's a handsome man, you know, silver Fox type dude, but he's no longer the, you know, the young stud star of Miami vice. And he's now a much more interesting actor. Yeah. And I call that Meryl Streep syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Now Meryl Streep was always a great actress, but I think that once she got older and felt like she doesn't have to play the young romantic lead anymore, that she could essentially become a character actress. She's just, unleashed like okay now i can do whatever the hell i want <laughs> and i mean you've seen don johnson showing up in django unchained and now this film and some other projects he's a much more interesting actor than he ever was as the brooder on on miami vice or even singing looking for a heartbeat <laughs> so right, that's that's my don johnson tangent here but i think don, i love that they utilize people like don johnson and jamie lee curtis who are both huge stars in the 80s uh and that they're a couple like that would have been a super hot couple in 1985 oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. so so he opens up the envelope and what does he see a blank sheet of paper so it seems that's right <laughs> and that's a great moment. And of course, this is one of the things that I love about this film and I love about this and films like this and Back to the Future and The Sting and films and, and being John Malkovich, films that little things that are introduced early in the movie are paid off later. Yeah. And of course, like the the there's the line of that um, Linda and Harlan had a special way of speaking to each other 
and then you see the blank piece of paper and of course that gets paid off at the very end of the film um there's just this attention to detail is what makes it so rewatchable because you want to see wait did they really say that yeah that's really that's right that pays <laughs> off later and in the moment he just chuckles to himself thinking like oh that bastard my father-in-law is just having me on just wanted yeah, it, to bluff yeah that he was bluffing yeah and of course a great little detail is that the baseball kind of becomes harlan you know that you we saw him fiddling with the baseball before and so he's not there anymore but the baseball is and so that's him picking that up and throwing it out of the window is essentially a middle finger to his former (laughs) father-in-law as a rabid baseball fan and a native New Englander, this film takes place in Massachusetts. I can't help but wonder the the significance of the baseball. Was it signed by Ted Williams? Was it signed? Was it was it an old Red Sox baseball or something like that? And I'm dying to know. That's the one. That's the only question from Knives Out that I want to know is who? What was the baseball? Was it, who? Who was it signed? Why was that baseball on his uh, on his desk? But. Uh, there's a there's a detail here that I love this that he picks up the baseball and he throws it and you almost expect to hear like a crash of the window mm-hmm. but instead it just silently plops out of the open window and you see it as everyone leaves the house that you just see it land and so it gives you a sense of geography of the house yeah that that's where the that's where the office is and so you know it's not quite as confusing and it it kind of time it kind of times it for you you know this is happening at the exact same moment that uh lieutenant elliot and um the private eye are walking out together so you know where everyone is in this large house at least those sets of characters at this moment well and there's a there's a there's a nice little detail about that i give i give credit to the the continuity and also to the the production management of the film the interior of the house was in the Blanche Ames mansion, which is a huge estate in Easton, Massachusetts. I grew up in Weston, Massachusetts, and it was in Easton, Massachusetts, which is in, I actually don't know Easton very well at all. It's Southern Massachusetts, very close to Rhode Island. I don't know that part of the state particularly well. And so that's where they shot the interiors. The exteriors was a different house. That was a different house in suburban Boston, closer to where I grew up. So when you see the interior, that's a different place than the exterior, because the exterior has that great look. And the 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 exterior of the Ames mansion is more it looks more like a bank. You know, it's like this sort of this this marble type house that mm. inside has this wild um, art decoration. And Someone pointed out in one of the making ofs that I saw that if you really pay attention to the shape of the house and the exterior and the hallways and everything in the interiors, they don't match at all. (laughs) (laughs) But by doing this, by having him throw the thing out and he's, he's surrounded by windows and you see the baseball coming out of the thing with the windows there, it creates, it psychologically marries those two things. And you would never, you would, you just in your head go, yeah, that's the same place. And right. I think it's a it's a great way of how do you handle the fact that this location doesn't really match the interior. I said you'll never notice. In fact, look at it's the same place. Look at the baseball coming out. 
which in the previous shot, it's Don Johnson throwing it. And you know, it's just some like 19 year old PA just waiting <laughs> for Ryan Johnson. Okay, throw it now. And he sort of, like, but not too hard. And so there you go. All right, the baseballs come out, and then out comes Lakeith Stanfield playing Lieutenant Elliot, who is being the voice of reason. And then we have Daniel Craig picks up the baseball. And I love that he doesn't turn – he just picks it up. <laughs> is, this, <laughs> is this a clue? No, he picks it up and he puts it's it in his pocket. Yep, there's just a baseball there. And they stop at this um, – what is that thing? Is, is that a bar? <laughs> no. <laughs> it looks like a Greek ruin of brick. I don't know what that. <laughs> it, I guess I guess it used to be like a conservatory, but now part of it's broken down or something, and now it's open to the elements. I don't know what it is. It's uh, the the shot and a, and a minute uh, at second fifty three. What I'm looking at here, where you have you know the two detectives, including Lieutenant Elliot, are talking with Benoit. You have that weird rectory that's falling apart there but then you just have the forest and then they're on top of a hill so you got a perspective and because it's misty it is this wonderful just layered shot with the the barren trees there's all this this aura of creepiness and mystery and death and borderline halloween that's going on <laughs> in this shot that is such you know, when you think of a spectacular shot, you think of like, you know, when you think of great cinematography, but to me, this is a great shot. It's just, it's not a sweeping shot. It's just so much composition in one, in one take. And the shot is when he walks, it starts with him picking up the baseball and continues with him, you know, when he puts a cigar in his mouth and they don't go to a close up. They just allow the scene to play out. And I like that, especially in a film like this, where there's a lot of fast dialogue going back and forth, that you see it's really the actors acting that way and acting in this beautiful tableau. And I think it's, again, the the visual attention to detail in this film just just makes something like this, which could have been a very boring scene of them standing in a room, and instead just adds to the mystery even us asking what is that thing on the left that, that, that's you're constantly looking around saying what am i even looking at what am i you're trying to unpack all these things yeah i think had there been like more shots that were just close-ups of faces like the the sense of like movement in the movie would have really slowed down and we would mm -hmm. feel bogged down it's there's so much fun to be had in everyone's interaction with each other. So it's like really important that we get, you know, lots of shots of people interacting with each other and, and reacting to each other rather than just seeing people spout out their lines and then wait to see what the reaction is of the other person that come back. Like there's, there's an immediacy that I appreciate it through watching it super slowly one minute at a time <laughs> well the, and there's a it's funny this is a very cinematic film yeah. i mean as we mentioned in in the way that the art direction the use of music and everything like that but they there is also a sense of theatricality to it as well and there are entire scenes that allow as i mentioned in this sequence with um uh, tony collette and um christopher uh, Plummer in one of the earlier scenes 
that just watching good actors act in a scene together is a pleasure. But here it's just watching good actors find a tableau, a visual tableau, and act in it as opposed to, you know, driving home the uh, the the story. And, and it almost, you know, the, the fact that this is kind of a weird, mysterious shot and it's about a mystery that they're trying to figure out if there even is a mystery at this point. Because Lieutenant Ellie's like, this is an open and shut case. What's the mystery here? Having that in a mysterious setting sort of, it plays with the expectations of a story and then also goes to something i really think about a lot of these films like like even i keep going back to the murder on the orient express because i happen to really love that the, the 1974 film but it it's more of the detail and the feel of the story than the actual mystery itself yeah. Like, i seen Murder on the Orient Express a couple of times. If you sat down and said, okay, explain to me the motive of the murder. I'd say, mm-hmm. oh, it's kind of he did this and some other things. But it was just really great seeing all these actors interplay. Mm-hmm. So so you have to have that sense of, of mysterious parlor game fun to go along with everything else. And this shot is parlor game fun. If we could title the episodes, I would title this episode <laughs> Parlor Game, Game Fun. Fun. I would title it, What is that thing? <laughs> <laughs> what is that thing? Um, all right. Well, this is what I got for What is that thing? That thing is Minute 23, which is just a lot of great visual cues, the baseball, the drawer, the empty note. It all just feels like like especially when you're first seeing it and you're starting they're throwing all these things at you and you're going like, wait, what's important? What's important? I can't tell what's important yet. And I really think this is around the time when the film really starts to, I love this one from beginning to end, but this is when the film really starts to, to pick up steam. Yeah. Well, it has been picking up steam, but in the next minute, we're going to introduce another character. She's been seen in the film, obviously already, but someone else is going to be introduced to Benoit Blanc. But before we do that, I'm going to say, Megan Tripp, where can people find your stuff? Uh, You can find Not Another Bad Movie Podcast at the usual places you find podcasts or notanotherbadmoviepodcast.libsyn.com. And you can follow the show on Twitter at NABM Podcast. Fantastic. And I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter. But I'm having fun doing Knives Out Minute 2 and we're just finished minute 23. Minute 24 is going to have Benoit Blanc meet someone new. And check that out on the next episode of Knives Out. <laughs>